0: When the light is just right, you look at things differently. All the blemishes are washed in gold, and nothing is tired. Nothing is worn. Everything is full of character, story, and life. This is Golden Hour. Why do we tell stories? After having listened to episode two of Golden Hour, here's what the storytellers had to say. Jenny Laguerre says, Stories answer for us, How do we learn right from wrong? Who are the people we can trust? How do we know where we belong? And what are the things we need to know in order to survive in this world? They reveal our moral compass. Diana Tso said, I like to connect myth with the present, which she definitely does in her story. Courage in my interview with her said, Stories that you tell within your family create your view, your lens of the world through your culture. In thinking about golden hour, I was looking for from each storyteller, was their golden hour? What is that magical moment or magical experience for them? And it seemed to me that for Diana Tso, That moment is the act of creating that comes from your heart. For courage, it seems to be the feeling of home she finds in the beauty of Guyana and in finding role models in people who are like her. For Jenny Laguerre, the golden hour is in between. And this is something we're going to come back to because I think it's really important. I think it's helpful and fun to look at each story individually because it was such a range of voices uh, and ideas as well. Um, Diana Tso's story, I gotta say, this sounds like, I don't even know how to connect this to anything, but I love the fact that the fairy enters the woman's mouth during a yawn. There's just, I can't put my finger on why, but there's something whimsical and, and, I feel like there's more layers there but it would take, you know, an essay to to say what that actually means. I'd love to ask Diana about about her sense of that. Um Rebecca what sort of stuck with you from from
1: Diana's story? Oh, I think the first thing that I just really loved about it was that I mean the the fairy is a member of the family, right? Like so, it's it, you know it's like a fairy tale, but it's also like the family lore, um, and uh, I don't know. I just thought that was really kind of special um, uh, that it was also this sort of story of resilience, and you know, uh, it, it's the kind of it's the kind of thing. Um, that does get passed down, you know these you know, did you know that your grandmother did this or your grandfather did that? and and these kind of um, stories that we connect to that make us understand, the strength, um, and the ties that bind, you know, in, in, in our family or the things that we, you know, our family is good at, you know, one thing or another. And in this case art and, uh, uh, you know, especially with Diana talking about choosing storytelling, I, I think that that connection between, um, the, the, just integrating the magic in the family was just really, uh, to me, it was just quite beautiful. I liked it. Yeah, the the
0: fairy became her mother, and so she definitely is mixing myth uh, with the present in a way that I actually found a little disorienting. At first, wait, wait, your mother—that's not how these stories usually go. Um, and and I liked what you say about um, resilience too. That's very much in in the story too. Ramiya, the story's very much about creating, isn't it? And about the the act of creation. And I I I wonder about the role of the emperor and in the story what do you think about that
2: yeah and and really because i i grew up with a lot of uh, folktale listening and legend listening um being brought up hindu and so that kind of thing was very direct right like it was a really direct form of conflict and uh fight and the kind of like Push and pull that comes with uh, creation, or with you know choosing a certain path, and that path not being the path that everybody loves for you. And even if they love it for you, there's this resistance that comes with uh, more of an inner conflict, where you know you're deciding, as the 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 painter decides, is this for me? Can I uh, push back? Can I um, still embrace love? in the in the notions of, you know, the students and the families and the friends uh, for my art and for my painting and not give in to this huge monstrous presence that is the emperor. So I thought that was um, extremely clear. It was very vivid and I thought, you know, absolutely, right? It's, it's part of every story to have that kind of resistance, that pushback.
0: One of the things that struck me that stays with me is that she says, to make beautiful things, you must use your heart, and I—I I wondered about the tension between that and the emperor th- being very threatening and and menacing uh, as a presence that was compelling her to make art. And so I, I felt like there was some mixed mixedness in what the uh, the emperor is. Um, and one thing that really struck me too at the end was that. Um, the fairy is carried up on on the back of a phoenix and she paints the northern lights. And I actually went to Google the knower of all things and I checked and there's only one city in China, I believe it's called Moe, where the northern lights are actually visible. And so I kind of was wondering if the Northern Lights was an idea that came from her own culture of the culture of her family from China, or whether it was a melding of uh, Canadian mythology. Um, JJ, you and I have actually talked about the Northern Lights a fair bit. How did that strike you?
3: Yeah. I mean, Northern Lights, they appear in stories from all over the world <laughs> because different cultures, if, if you've had an experience of them, if you've had an experience of the Northern Lights, you kind of want to explain it and, that's what storytellers do, right? So in finish the northern lights are called revontulet, and that literally translates into firefox. In north myth- mythology, the, Norse, uh, the the northern lights have kind of become the bifrost bridge. The Sami people, this is an indigenous group in northern Norway, Sweden, and Finland, apparently they link the northern lights to water being blown by whales. And in other indigenous mythologies, there, there are stories of gentle giants fishing at night, and that's what the northern lights are. There's the, They are fires lit by the creator the northern lights are a way to communicate with ancestors and it's really, it's not surprising that the Northern Lights appear in all of these different stories because we use stories to explain and explore things we don't understand. And that goes for things that are concrete, but also goes for things like emotions or and ideas. So you've got all these different cultural groups living, in, you know, across the Northern Hemisphere. And so, of course, they're going to come up with stories to try and explain and explore these wild lights in the sky, right? These wild Northern lights with ribbons of bright green with brilliant, rare neon blues, pinks and violet colors with soft blended rainbows that flicker like flames. So, I mean, of course we want to explain not only what these wild things are and where they came from, but we also want to explore how they make us feel. And like I said, that's exactly why we have storytellers.
0: And it's such a um, delightfully grandiose idea to think, my mom just does, doesn't just like paint on T-shirts and stuff. She made the Northern Lights. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, It's yeah. very, very in-your-face in the best possible sense of that word. I, I love that. Um, I wanted to talk about Courage Bacchus story. And the first thing that struck me actually um, – from interviewing Courage was that she talks about having not had access to traditional stories as a child because she is deaf and her family is hearing. And so there wasn't a lot of direct communication and particularly her extended family. And so the question Jenny Laguerre asks, the questions she she points out that stories tell us and answer for us, Courage didn't have those Uh, stories answered for her and so um she's making her own story and that really that really struck me um And also she talks about inclusion in a, it brings in topics of inclusion. And JJ, I think this was something you had been thinking about as well, listening to Courage.
3: Yeah, inclusion and representation. Uh, I was struck by how many times Courage came back to representation. She identified it as something that was missing in her life when she was young. She spoke of making her own choices in her own life and work so that she could be someone who represented. And she then spoke of using her platform to bring other deaf Black women into the conversation so that they could build on that representation as a community. And it really got me thinking about how that representation plays out in blind and low vision communities especially with regards to audio description because there are a lot of ongoing conversations right now about describing race describing skin tone describing diversity and kind of naming that so we can create some of that representation because frankly as an industry i don't think we've always made very good choices on that front it's been something that's lacking so listening to courage was kind of a was a really nice reminder that we need to value the representation side of things when we're having conversations about describing race describing skin tone when we're weighing our options when we're making those decisions we need to remember what it means for people to hear representations of themselves in their art uh be it movies tv theater the world around us doesn't matter those represented th- th- that matters
0: rebecca i suggested at the beginning that for courage uh her golden hour is finding that sense of belonging people she recognizes as being part who she is is this something that struck you as well
1: Yeah, well, I mean, one of the moments that um, I kept thinking about was when she she talks about how she wished that her um, teacher was her father because he knew how to sign, right? And um, I think her experience is is something that a lot of Canadians um, can relate to in that we are, so many of us, removed from a culture that would have, um, impacted our, um, lives greatly, or we might have, you know, there might be some homeland kind of thing. Um, people, there are a lot of immigrants in this country. Um, and, uh, our experiences are not necessarily, um, direct and are, are going to be, uh, you know, melded with where we are and our experiences here. I, myself, um, I remember as a kid would explain things to my mother, you know, um as I was going through school, like, you know, that she would then marry with her uh, knowledge and understanding from her European upbringing. Um and you know, what came out of it ultimately was sort of this this new thing. Um and I for for me this whole you know, on on one hand, I can just imagine how challenging um her her circumstance, uh, would have been. But on the other hand, it there's it there's so much space for something new, uh, to come about. And um, just knowing the the type of person that uh, courage is, um, I think that uh, her um she she's really actually in the process of creating sort of these um new stories for exactly the community that she felt that she didn't have right so uh yeah so i i definitely did connect um but in a way that i was just like oh yeah like there's so many of us who are translating uh other cultures that we may not have access to i didn't grow up you know i grew up in in canada um so yeah Huh, it's yeah I like the idea of translating, and i
0: i I'm always struck when I see a child educating a parent in that way that you describe it's very it's very poignant um ramiya courage is definitely talking a lot about language, and um, I was really interested in her talking about black signing and other other ways that sign language is turning. Is that something that struck you as well? Oh, absolutely.
2: It was one of the things that I, I pulled out from almost um, everything that Courage was expressing either, you know, outright or between the lines, Chris, because it, the the what I was hearing and what I was picking up, and to be honest, I haven't even completely um, unpacked why this resonated with me so much. I mean, I'm bilingual myself, but She talked about the blending of languages to form, um, in essence, her her identity and working on it because she's not completely fluent yet in uh, black signing or international sign language. But ASL is something that she's very fluent in Uh, and and just the, the, the whole interpretation of what this means for identity for forming your own identity and what it looks like to kind of grab a little here grab a little there and and expose yourselves in uh the, the different schools as she mentioned or visiting back and forth between Guyana and home and um what it means just through the language to kind of figure out who you are because there's um in essence you know what you're brought up with what you've been exposed to and then you get to um maybe certain parts of your life where you're now picking up things on your own. Uh, For me, I I remember when I was 16 or so, and I would never grown up reading Braille, right? So that was not ever part of my identity uh, in essence. Like I never thought about it. I never took it in as, you know, maybe I should learn Braille or what would it have been like for me to know know Braille? But for some reason... Uh, at the age of 16, I decided that it was really, really important to me. I don't know. It's because uh, I was now finding that I was u- using the Braille in elevators and that moved to some other thought process. But at some point I decided that I wanted to learn Braille and it's not it wasn't inert for me. It wasn't something that I grew up with. So I, it was a struggle. I'm still not fluent at it, but I now pride myself as a low vision person to at least know grade one Braille. Um though I don't use it in my daily life, because I somehow feel like it plays a huge role in my identity. Um, and, you know, I might end up at a point where we could talk about how Braille is no longer, which is not the case. There's a lot, there's a lot of Braille users out there. But I'm saying there, there could be a point where you feel like Braille is no longer, or it's not the main form of communication uh, in the blind and low vision community, or it's not widely spread and widely used as it used to be anymore or as a default. But it's still something that feels strong to me. It feels like it, there's power in knowing this language. And I think somehow this is uh, what wraps it up for me and encourage knowing international sign language and Black signing. And there's one powerful moment um, where she's talking about uh, the, the the bigger the sign, the louder it feels, right? And that is... That's something that she embraced uh, as as part of your identity. You know, it may not be even something that you express, but it's just out there that you feel, hey, this is how I want to sign. This is how I feel it embraces me or I embrace it. And I just thought it was a really powerful thread that, uh, that I'm still unpacking.
0: There's so, I really feel like we, each benefit when we work on different ways of expressing ourselves or learning a different way and I found that as Jenny Laguerre as a storyteller she had a really unique um, unique way of telling a unique style Um, Rebecca what was it like for you listening to what was your experience listening to Jenny Laguerre?
1: Oh, I thought she was just delightful. Like I, I, as soon as she sort of began the story, I, I began to, I began to smile. Right. So I, 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 I thought um, the storytelling style. It, it just, it sort of filled me full of this childlike glee, and and I honed in on what she was saying, and I and I tried harder to, um, to actually. Like imagine step by step what she was describing, you know, was happening in the story, um, because I felt like it's sort of like it, it was in the in-between, right? Like what was happening in between those particular lines, Um she has such a, a, such a confidence
0: that when she speaks, you're just like, this is a woman who knows like you could just sit back and listen and feel like, yep, she's going to tell me the truth, right? here. <laughs> Except that she sort of doesn't like she doesn't connect the dots, right? So um, Ramia, did you feel like you came away with a a moral like did she i I felt like she was out to maybe show us something but she doesn't come right out and say what it is yeah that's exactly
2: it because you know the style that that you're both mentioning rebecca and chris um it it felt like it you know it felt like at the end it was gonna kind of feel like and the moral of the story is (laughs) but there wasn't that right i'm kind of left thinking what is the moral yeah. of the story? Like there's, there's obviously a lot to that but it really did it it brought me back to just like verbal storytelling when when it, it wasn't like a um edited down a uh, composition of some sort. It was just raw. It felt so raw. And uh, like the words were just coming out, the, the singing, the tones, the characters, the, the development, everything was just almost coming out as if it was
0: spontaneous. It was so beautiful. <laughs> the only moral I could come up with is be careful whose plans you embrace. And she never even <laughs> says it. She never even says it. She's just like, Yeah, and the donkey lived well. That's it. I <laughs> need a sheepskin, and the donkey lived well. That's it. <laughs> um, Jenny also said, My Canada gives me space to live in between. And for me, there is richness in in between. And so I was wondering a lot about what is the value of in-between and I personally don't always find it a comfortable or safe place um and so in a very literal and very Canadian context a couple of times I've been uh in a car that's driving across the country and there's hours and hours between towns and between the comforts that we that we sort of rely on that's kind of what I think of in the in-between so I find it a a, just a tiny bit uh menacing JJ what does the in-between mean to you? you?
3: It's a good question. So in between places, for me, I guess, are places that haven't yet been clearly defined. So places that are in between, I guess there's an opportunity for those of us who are perhaps not satisfied with the, the more recognized places as they currently exist, you can create your own places in between them, right? Because the rules aren't firmly established there aren't norms that are really rigid so you can make space for yourself in between and maybe that space that you create can be a space for others too and you know those in between places become they really are every bit as legitimate as whatever established places already Flank them, right? Those places that we create in between, um, that are personal and that are uh, ever evolving, are are very real, and they are they are indeed places of their own. That's kind of what places in between are for me, I guess.
0: I want to know where my next iced coffee is coming from. (laughs) That's how shallow I am. (laughs) Um, I want to go back to sort of where we started, which is the idea of the golden hour, which I think we all kind of instinctively know in in a general deep sense what this means. And so I'd like to pose to each of you what has been your golden hour during the pandemic where have you found the fleeting moments of perfection so Ramya, can we start with you
2: oh absolutely and
0: i gotta say i love this
2: question um when i think back at what the year has been like for me i think those moments of perfections those golden hour moments were uh really in the in the silences and the the quietness um and being in Toronto, it is all all loud all the time, right? That's that's really what it feels like with life. You got to uh, find and really narrow out and carve out these spots and spaces where it feels like you get some time to to breathe and just uh, be present without. Chit chat, or the the conversations, or uh, the noise of it all, um, and and I'm not just talking about construction and traffic. It really is everywhere for me. So, in the last year, I've found that not just um, on my own, which is there was a lot of silence and quiet time that I've taken on my own, but also with others. You know, leaving space in conversations and leaving um, just just the time and the space between words has been so beautiful for me. And I've learned a lot about myself and about people around me. Um, and especially in the, the closer groups of friends and family that I have uh, to embrace that quiet time, even in the presence of other people. So that's what I've taken in and, and really enjoyed and hopefully
0: I'm holding on to for, uh, for further as well. I love that. So in my next sentence, I'm going to put in a John Cage 4 minute 33 second silence just to hear the silence in the middle of a sentence. I love that idea of being quiet with people. Um, Rebecca, uh, what could how would you answer that?
1: Well, can I give a very specific example? Please. So um I it was a few months in and, and in the midst of the 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 quiet and the still um beginnings times of of being under lockdown um and I came across a phone number which was labeled the cheese hotline <laughs> and you call the number <laughs> I love it already. And there was a, a lady on the other end, and you you know, it was either she was going to pick up or you leave a message specifically for her, and you tell them that you want a box of cheese, <laughs> and, and uh, <laughs> there's a, a farm not too far away, um, and they were delivering boxes of Cheese that they that they made at their farm, um, uh, for free, free delivery uh, to people all over uh, uh, all over the city, and, um, and it was just the the whole thing about it. From seeing, first of all, a phone number. You know, you didn't have to order online and fill out a form and whatever. To calling to you know hearing a human voice uh, and and yeah, requesting the cheese and having it come to me. You know, it was. <laughs> it was just it was you know everything about you know what what we've been discussing right now like it it would there was something just magical about the whole thing and the cheese was good you know? oh. and it was a good deal you know oh, you hit so, me where i live uh, i love that yeah <laughs> there you go my golden hour the is
0: cheese a cheese hotline. box yeah. <laughs> that's I, I, that's my takeaway from the whole weekend is there's a cheese hotline i am so comforted to know there is a cheese hotline <laughs> um, I will tell my little my little uh, golden hour uh pandemic story which is actually in a way the opposite of Ramia's. um I found some musical allies in my very immediate neighborhood that I didn't know I had. And so I've been getting together on a very regular basis with some people in my hood. And a couple, maybe three of us in particular, have become solid, true friends in the most lasting and meaningful way. And so we're still getting together, and we always will, I feel sure. And so sometimes... If you're, if you're a musician or singer, you'll know this moment where you're singing with other people and you just nail it. it the song sings itself. you got three-part harmony going and it's effortless and soaring and absolutely transcendent. And so sometimes uh, it's, it's not a guarantee. You never know. Some days you're on, some days you're not. But every now and then we hit that that moment of the golden hour. And I feel so grateful for friendships and connections that I didn't have before the pandemic uh and lastly jj can you top the cheese hotline dude not i can't
3: even come close to topping a cheese hotline <laughs> my good what could possibly, what could top possibly a
0: cheese, cheese <laughs> fondue goodness. hotline express. Cheese <laughs> fondue express
3: no my you know what my my uh golden hour has been a, a, the very simple and very mundane pleasure of walking you know uh during this pandemic I, i've been walking every morning and every evening my morning constitutional my evening constitutional and you know the the roots they're not always scenic right it's just my neighborhood and i you know there are mornings and evenings when it feels like it's mandatory labor i'm just trying to stave off atrophy but there are other times when there's there's real power in it there's real pleasure in it where i'm i'm seeing the same people because i'm walking at more or less the same time i'm seeing neighbors who are doing the same thing and and you know sharing a wave and a hello with them and you know a little chat across the street or on the front porch and those moments of walking every day keeping up with the consistency i've never listened to my body's need to be in motion like i have uh, during this time. And uh, I, I really enjoy it. It's a, it's a, it's a true pleasure.
0: Rami, Rebecca, JJ, what a lovely conversation. Story is one of my favorite things to talk about, and I'm a total English class geek. So thank you for uh, sharing such great, thoughtful insights and personal experiences. And this has been our golden hour.